from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 10. I am not surprised, Lee Sal said to Brower. I did not really think you would last the night. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is, uh, for Christ's sake, a award-winning podcast uh, exploration into the written, uh, filmic, and televisual works, video gaming. Ludic? Ludic. Ludic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that really the word that people employ? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I know that ludography uh, would be the equivalent of filmography or bibliography. Ludic is definitely a word that people use. Okay. Um, it would be like saying filmic, I think, except for filmic is less pretentious. But anyway, of uh, one, Monsieur Michael Crichton, or Michael Crichton, or as he's known uh, in reference to the present book, which is called Scratch One, uh, John Lange. Yep. And my name is Hunter, and I am joined as I am every week, every day, every minute by my good friend and uh, antipodal co-host. What? You mean uh, Antipodean? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm just being, it, it's, it's cool, I was being smart. Cool. Did you say my name, or do I have to say my name? I can't no, you say your name. But, uh... Uh, Antipodal just means related to or situated on the opposite side of the earth. So. Oh, really? You weren't being clever. I know. I guess that's that's also the derivation of Antipodean then. Probably. Okay, so what happened in the last chapter? Well, let's see. There was an unnamed Eurasian girl that uh, Roger Carr dined to insert his penis into. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Mr. Gorman went and saw a psychiatrist. And Finally, LaSalle tortured the little man who told Card to meet him in a public bathroom. Yep. And as we learn at the beginning of this new chapter, mm. um, such uh, colourful torture methods that uh, LaSalle employed proved fruitless. Mm. And although he is not uh, deceased at this point, the little man has been punished to the point where he has bitten his tongue and is incapable of speech. Yes. So, yeah, that was a waste of time. Yes. Yes, it was. Just like the rest of this podcast. This book. The main concern of Lissau here in regard to the small man that he's trying to get information from is who in his own operation, in his own team, has spilled information to a third party. And that information has reached people such as this small man who is trying to sell it to international assassins. Mm. The information that has been leaked is something about the plan that uh, Lissau uh, has in place to foil this arms deal, right? We're pretty far into this book, are we not? 
Yeah. And uh, given the cast of characters we have, I can only assume that Brower is the, the mole. I agree. <laughs> Otherwise, he's a complete idiot. Who <laughs> <laughs> could also be that. Accidentally not kidnapping Carr through a series of like farcical mishaps. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of like a fish called Wanda. Hmm. Anyway, so uh, we cut from Wissau uh, discussing his method du toucher, and we cut straight to the wall offices of one, or sorry, real estate offices of one, Katie Gretti. Yeah, we do. Which are located along the Bolivar Victor Hugo. Uh, and Carr is there to buy this villa for the governor. Indeed he is. We get We get a little... Uh, fun ethnic humor here mm-hmm. about the Italians, but it's okay because he's putting it in the mouth of a French person. So it's 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 enjoyment through disavow, you know. Uh, is there anything else? <laughs> this. So that nothing else much of consequence happens in that scene, except it's established that Carr will visit the villa that is going to be put up for sale, mm. um, and uh, discuss his proposition to the owner in person. Mm. And uh, then he's like, well, what am I going to do now with the rest of my day? Maybe I'll go to Cannes, check out the film festival. Mm. But uh, before before we get that, we have a little scene with Gorman. Do we? <laughs> talking to, ah, the, yeah, so talking stupid, to, yeah. the, to the girl. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, I, I thought this uh, particular passage really violated the spirit of what I assumed this novel would be, you know? Hmm. Because if, if you have a farcical sort of spy adventure, right, the main character should be like a, a moron, you know, and he is a moron, right? Yeah. But the fact that he is uh, good at having sex, it just, it just struck a really false note with me, you know? Like, I feel like if I were writing this novel, I'd make him terrible at having sex, and that would be another source of comedy, right? Like, clearly he's supposed to be a sort of uh, insert character for Crichton. Yeah, so. Michael Crichton is not trying to paint Carr <laughs> as a moron. No, even if he that does is, come That is just one. your interpretation of his action. <laughs> I mean, there are, <laughs> so there, are some, there are some points at which I think Crichton is intending us to view Carr as an idiot. A little bit. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it's more that this, the circumstances around him are absurd. And he's just an ordinary cheeky lad. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> he loves house. There is that brief scene where um, the woman that cast slept with, who was working for Gorman, reports back to Gorman. And it's so stupid, uh, because Gorman is, like, questioning her, saying, you know, what did he say? And all all she can say is, like, look off into the distance dreamily and say, so strong, so gentle. Did you tell him what I wanted you to to tell him? Oh, yes, that was before. It's it's so ridiculous for someone who's, like, a professional agent. He's so so hung here, you don't understand that. And it's then, just, and then, Gorman thinks to mind. himself. Gorman thinks to himself, "Never send a girl on a man's job." <laughs> Which I guess he means that uh, the only interpretation he can make for that is that he wants a, a man to have sex with the car. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the logic of this is so stupid if you actually like apply it oh, to yeah. the, the real world. And if you were working for a spy agency, who do you think is more likely to be compromised by their lust? <laughs> a woman <laughs> or a man? <laughs> Just in, just in general, broad terms. <laughs> in Crichton's world, it, it's 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 always the reverse. It's the women who have uncontrollable sex drives. Mm, it's true. It's true. 
we go to con and then we go to a car just watching uh, attractive women. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all. It. And then he meets a, a particular woman uh, that mm. takes his fancy, whose face at this point is obscured by a broad straw hat. Interesting. And he strikes up a conversation. Important is that her handbag has the letters AC. Now, this is not something that we talked about earlier in the book, because I think that we, I mean, I, I certainly missed it the first time I read the chapter, but we were going to re-record an episode. That didn't work out because we didn't really want to. When I reread the chapter where Carr goes to the nightclub, right, mm-hmm. I learned that, in fact, this handbag has appeared earlier in the story. And he bumps into a woman who has a handbag with those self-same letters initialed onto it. So, mm. it's a little bit of uh, foreshadowing. Interesting. By interesting, I mean, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's called foreshadowing end. you. <laughs> yep, that's it. He, he, he wants to go um, sexually harass this woman, and then, uh, and then that's it. That's just, he does. Yep. We're at chapter 10. We have... 15 to go. And could we be more excited? Uh, Oh.